Blog Talk Radio. oriented podcast and live radio shows. Each broadcast will dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, delighted today to have um, a uh, special guest with us, as usual, um, who will have a conversation with me about millennial teachers and leader retention um, uh, Dr. Cami Lewis-Levin. Welcome, Cami. Thanks, Dr. Perkins. I'm so excited to be here. Well, glad to have you. Uh, for uh, Cami is a uh, adult learning, education leadership, and curriculum design consultant. Um, she's had a number of district-level leadership positions and um, has done study uh, that um, will be really interesting to us about millennials and uh, what motivates them to stay in one place or another. Um, I know uh, that I have, uh, I've had a number of millennials that have come through uh, my program um, at Teachers College. And kind of for the record, you know, people, so that we're on the same page, I guess there are a few floating definitions, one, a few years here and there. But for the most part, we're talking about people who were born uh, between 1981 and 1996. Um, so uh, I guess it used to be a shorthand for a young person some time ago um, with now some of the oldest members are now um, in their late 30s, approaching 40 this year. So um, uh, so what now I want to start with, um, Cammy, if you could tell us a little bit first about what made you decide to study what was, what was going on with millennials, particular millennial teachers? Well, I'm sure that um, you and your listeners are aware of the the teacher shortage crisis that has been kind mm-hmm. of um, increasing over the last 10 years. And um, it just, it occurred to me that as a, an instructional coach and as a leadership developer at the district level, I was increasingly working more and more with, uh, with millennials. And so I did a little bit of research and discovered that millennials are the largest cohort of workers in American history. And by 2025, they're going to be, they're going to comprise about 75% of working Americans in this country. And so they're going, yeah, if, if they're going to be such a large percentage of workers, we need to think about how to, how to attract them and how to keep them Mm -hmm. in our schools um, Mm -hmm. for many reasons, but um, not the least of which is that our, our um, most struggling students our historically marginalized students are often historically marginalized because of a revolving door of teachers. 
So if we can target this group of people and figure out what can entice them to stay longer than two years, it will increase outcomes exponentially for our students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting. Well, I know, um, and it may be a little self-serving, a few years back, maybe about two or three years ago, I uh, picked up a book um, that's uh, entitled uh, Marketing to Millennials. Um, and it was because we were looking at, uh, just as you mentioned, the numbers that are in the marketplace looking for master's degrees and doctoral degrees, um, trying to figure out what appealed to them, not in any kind of manipulative way, but just trying to say, how can we get their attention? And there are a lot of uh, myths out there about them, but there's quite a bit of research that has gone into um, not just millennials, but a lot of other um, generational groups. Uh, and and it just was, it's been fascinating to me uh, to see some of the, the areas in which that I learned just even from reading the a couple of books about marketing the millennials um, and that even within millennials, one of the findings were that there are even subgroups under millennials that they, you can't just, you can't just put millennials that, that span of 1981 to 1996 also have some differences and um, between in those groups as well. But I'll tell yeah. you, um, and, I, and I'd love to hear how this applies in schools, but one thing that I read um, was that millennials der- derive value from being engaged in development, social interactions, and, and other um, very social-related processes. Uh, is that consistent with what you've seen and what you, what you learned? It is, and I think it's really interesting because millennials are considered to be digital natives. They're the first generation that was born mm-hmm. into the kind of technology that we we are using right now, um, having a podcast. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of access to a lot of information and always had. That's, that's how their entire lives have been. And so um, I think there are two things that are specific to the millennial generation. It's this idea that they're digital natives and that they were born into these tools. Um, But they are also extremely social conscious, extremely socially conscious um, and are Mm -hmm. interested in, um, in working toward the greater good. So they tend Mm -hmm. to, uh, they tend to be attracted to civil rights or racial discrimin- discriminatory work, healthcare, education, and employment. Um, those are causes that they care a lot about but from a political perspective. And so they tend to try to find um, work experiences that align to the social causes that they're interested in. They're interested in working for socially responsible organizations that do good. And so if we can, if those organizations can increase their level of commitment to the, the cause, we would not see so much turnover. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so at what what would be your advice in that area to a principal? Well, I think schools are an obvious appeal to millennials because they are socially conscious mm-hmm. in so many different ways. And so I think um, from a recruitment standpoint, we really need to think about how we're selling teaching as as a vocation, as a career, as mm-hmm. an opportunity to really um, – reconstruct what the world will look like um, for the next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think messaging is a big part of it. And then I think from a retention standpoint, which is where my research lies more deeply, is this idea of millennials want to feel invested in. And I think that's not generationally specific. All of us want to feel like what we're doing matters. We want to have voice. We want to have choice. We want to have opportunities. Millennials, and they have such a bad rap for their, you know, being labeled as really entitled and snowflakes mm-hmm. and all of these, you know, derogatory yeah, and, and, and self-centered. Right, right. Exactly. A lot of times people say they're self-centered, me, the me, me generation, right? Right, exactly. And I think, you know, if we flip that on its head, the other generation, you know, my generation, Generation X, for example, has a lot to learn from millennials because we feel Mm -hmm. the same way that they do. We just don't voice it. They are much Mm -hmm. more verbal, much more willing to push back than the previous generation um, in the Mm -hmm. workplace. That's what the research shows. And so I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that, right? Like you want to have a seat at the table. You have to use your voice. You have to be your own advocate. You have to be an agent of change. And so we're in schools. We're constantly telling students that they have to be advocates for themselves. They have to um, push on teachers, push on schools, push on principals to, um, to serve them in the, in the most, uh, deeply meaningful ways, and then you know we're telling adults don't push back, don't you know comply, comply, comply. And so I think there's something to that, right? And and honestly, millennial teachers are not interested in compliance. They are interested in social good. They are interested in moving the dial. They are interested in bringing traditional schooling into the 21st century. And that can only happen when there's change because schools look the same as they have for the last hundred years, right? Sure, sure. Well, I can imagine that being a bit challenging for a principal uh, if they're not necessarily change-minded. You know, we all know that there are groups of leaders who are okay with the status quo. And so what I'm hearing you say is that um, if if that's your if that's your predisposition to just you know let's do what we've always done might not be a good idea to load your school up with uh, a, a bunch of millennial teachers, right? I mean, I don't know that they're going to have a choice. That's the pool, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, right, you did say seventy five percent, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, But I think what's interesting is that it's not just millennial teachers that we're now preparing and supporting. Mm -hmm. It's millennial leaders. Mm -hmm. The folks that you identified that are on the older end of the spectrum are serving as principals themselves and are struggling with the same things that 
um, boomer principles struggled with in terms of millennials and um, Gen X principles struggled with in terms mm-hmm. of millennials. How do you mm-hmm. how do you create a positive school culture when your teachers are constantly questioning, constantly pushing back, constantly wanting to innovate? And I think, you know, the answer is not a new answer. It's, you know, work that the Ed Reform Movement has been talking about for the last 20 years, the idea of distributed leadership and the idea that you can, principals can actually lean on these teachers who want more responsibility, who want opportunities, who want to be seen as leaders in their organizations. Principals can lean on them to... um, Mm -hmm to lessen their own workload, right? And so mm-hmm. if you are setting yeah. up the systems and the structures to, um, you know, create teaming structures that really um, allow the leadership team to leverage the strengths of the teachers in the building, it could provide an entirely new experience for kids because then you have mm-hmm. teachers who are wanting to spearhead committees and spearhead clubs, right. spearhead action right. research pro- projects, right? And you let them run with mm-hmm. it. And there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of fear in like losing control and in gradual release. But if you're truly meeting your adults within their zone of proximal development, you need to also create opportunities for them to stretch. And it's not mm-hmm. just about mm-hmm. providing them, you know, spoon feeding them um, and providing them with how to tutorials and canned professional right. developments. It's about getting them in the mix and having them right. participate in the development of the learning organization that ultimately a school should be. Right, and so I also I, I think about because I have um, a, a few millennials on my team, and I know that another thing you have to be willing to do, uh, and I think this goes in any leadership role, you have to be real willing to take risks, but also give them room to make mistakes. Um, but I, I but especially am sensitive to what you just said, giving them the ability to. You have a project and run with it. Uh, that it's there. It's theirs to to guide and lead and and have some sense of ownership for. I, I certainly um, encounter that as well. Uh, for those of you who have joined us, um, you've reached the Perkins platform, and uh, today our topic is keeping millennial teachers. What motivates them to stay in your school? We have Dr. Cami Lewis Levin, who has done a study about uh, millennials and um, what motivates them to to be in one place or another um, on choices, particularly in in educational settings. Um, if you are interested in calling in, please do so. The number is 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. Um, Cammy, you you mentioned something that uh, about them in the workplace setting, and I I um, saw an article recently um, that had some work facts of facts about them that I'd be interested to get your take on. One point was that millennials don't want to work nine to five, um, according to some of the uh, research that's been done. That seventy four percent of them. 
uh, prefer flexible working hours. And um, how does that impact a, a school settings? But uh, is it the same for people who are teachers? Are teachers wanting a more flexible work environment? I think if COVID has shown us anything, it's that people, all people, want and thrive on flexible work environments. Um, the teachers that I've spoken to over the last year have been both frustrated with remote learning, but also grateful for it in certain ways because they were able to innovate in, in terms of ed tech, but also, and, you know, for any teachers or school leaders that are listening, um, this will resonate, like they can go to the bathroom for a minute, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That can't yeah. happen in a yeah. school setting. You can't leave your, your, your students unattended. And so this idea mm-hmm. of feeling like a, a person, the teachers that I interviewed talked a lot about that, feeling like a professional, feeling like a real person, as opposed to an automaton that starts school at 730 in the morning, finishes school at 430 in the afternoon or whatever, and that their um, bodies and minds are almost not their own, that they're going through these motions and everything is very rapid fire and they're making a million decisions a second and um, not having time to process or reflect on how to improve their practice Mm -hmm. because their hair is on fire. Mm -hmm. Obviously COVID, you know, put their hair on fire in different ways. Um, But I think from a flexibility standpoint that, aligns with what I was saying before about having to rethink what school looks like for the 20th, 21st century. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is not, it can't, it can no longer be a factory model. And that is true for students. Mm-hmm. And that is also true for the adults mm-hmm. in the building. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. So given that they, they want projects on their own, they want to take things and lead them. You mentioned that they, they enjoy that. Um, how does that impact their work-life balance? Do they seem to have a better work-life balance than the generation before them or generations before them? Are they, are they actually more uh, conscience, uh, conscientious about uh, being, um, being, having a social life and having a work life and both of those Um, can exist at the same time? So overwhelmingly, the research shows that millennials are much more effective at achieving a work-life balance than prior generations, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Um, In my research, I had a really mixed bag. I had teachers who were uh, single and didn't have children that were working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. And then I had teachers who were married and had children and were um, really satisfied with the work-life balance that they had created. So my analysis was the more time you have, if you love your job, you're going to pour more of yourself into it. And for some of them, that is a balance. That's, That's their happy place. I didn't really... Um, talk to anybody who felt like um, they were being they were being terribly overworked, and I also mm-hmm. speak to their um, their sense of 
that sense of millennial entitlement. They are very mm-hmm. um, empowered to say, I'm contractually obligated to work until this time. I'm going to do this extra work, but I need to be able to go to the gym. I need to be able to meet up with my mm-hmm. friends. I need mm-hmm. to be able to go to the mm-hmm. movies and I'm going to do those things and I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, it's funny to hear you say that because I, these are all things that uh, even from, from a graduate student perspective that, um, that I've, encountered personally, you know, not uh, not in any negative way, but that, that seems to be something that is a real value. And, and I think in a good way, in a really good way, that uh, that you, I would now more likely hear someone say, but first I need to go to the gym, as you just said, is that I, I have a lot of work to do, but I need to go to the gym. And keeping that in perspective as some something of a priority, uh, just like any of the other uh, components of of what they need to accomplish in the day. Absolutely, and you know um, that analogy kept coming up for me over and over again. That analogy of when you're on a plane and there's turbulence or whatever, you're supposed to put on your own mask before you put on the mask mm-hmm. of the child sitting next to you. And I think millennials are definitely on to this idea that their own self-care and work-life balance is, right, self-care, their own self-care is paramount for them to show up as their best selves at school the next day. And, you know, working in schools is draining and it's taxing and it's exhausting and it's hard and it's incredibly rewarding. And if you don't show up as your best Self, you miss out on the rewarding part and you just become bitter, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So tell me, what are some of the things that you've seen that principals are doing that seems to work? Like what is the, what, what are the state-of-the-art practices or kind of some of the best practices out there that you've seen principals uh, implement that actually seem to work for millennials staying in their buildings? Yeah, so um, my research kind of uncovered two parallel threads. One was the need for formal development opportunities, and then the other was an intense need for informal development opportunities that they learn largely through informal interactions, and Mm. they don't want to be micromanaged. So... How are so? So, what do you mean informal? Exactly. Give me an example of what, yeah. what might be an informal interaction. So, when we're in school buildings, it's a lot easier, right? Teachers can trade information in the halls um, on between right. classes. Like, oh, look at this piece of student work. Isn't that interesting? The aha that goes off for the listener in that very short dialogue is often very powerful. It doesn't take much. And collegial relationships are so important to them that once they build trust and relationships with their colleagues, this kind of information trading happens at an informal level constantly. They also, um, you know, they text each other a lot. Or if they're on Google Mm -hmm. platforms, they'll G-chat each other a lot and share information that way. And it's a very expeditious way to... um, to talk about strategies that are working or a kid that's having a particularly hard time that day or um, Mm -hmm. cheerleading each other even. So 
instead of coming down on teachers about, in that example, using their cell phones during work, kind of approaching it with curiosity, what are they using their cell phones during work to do? If they're ordering groceries, like that's one, one issue. But if they're actually using their phones to talk to each other and to connect and to collaborate, that's amazing. And that should be that should be positively recognized and acknowledged because just the acknowledgement will make them feel valued, which will, it will inform their retention, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. These informal conversations are critical and then creating opportunities for them to have informal conversations in more formal ways um, is also really effective. So, principals who are willing and able to support an intervisitation schedule where teachers can go and observe Uh each other in action, but not to the point where it's micromanaged and the expectation is you need to be in this person's classroom for the next 15 minutes looking at this thing, but really an open-ended invitation and, and see what happens and provide opportunities for them to reflect on that and debrief because what they take from mm-hmm. each other's classrooms, um, more often than not, you will see implemented almost immediately in the next period. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, they don't feel micromanaged. So those opportunities kind of alongside of a very clear professional development trajectory, particularly for uh, teachers that are interested in moving up, there aren't a lot of there. There isn't really a pathway for teachers to move up without doing the traditional route of going into um, being a coach or an assistant principal, then being a principal, then moving into the district level, and then being a superintendent. Like that's a very traditional pipeline approach. But mm-hmm. if principals could think outside the box and create leadership opportunities that could keep effective teachers in the classroom, but also quench their thirst for wanting to um, lead charges, that could lend itself to higher teacher retention as well. Oh, you're interested in studying how this curriculum impacts these kids? Great. Let's start an action research project, and you can brief us every week during PD about how the project is going, and then you can present your paper at this conference that's coming up, or like providing those Mm -hmm. kinds of um, acknowledgments and recognition for this work that so often goes unacknowledged and unrecognized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I I can imagine now during um, our most throughout the country, covid um, and even people who are in buildings haven't had much opportunity to do that. So the dropping by the classroom hasn't been that possible, but even kind of quietly tipping in on a Zoom, che- you know, Zoom setting isn't exactly the same thing, right? I mean, that, that, that has probably been very challenging uh, for principals. So has much of that been happening over the past year, you think, that, so I, that there have been opportunities? I think that COVID created a series of missed opportunities that there was so much change that happened all at once that school leaders shied away from um, leaning into what was possible. Zoom classrooms provide a really easy way to 
hop in for 10 minutes like a fly on the wall and then hop out. It gives you a window mm. into people's classrooms that you wouldn't have access to ordinarily. And I think to the extent that teachers and school leaders are able to leverage that opportunity, it would be incredibly powerful. There are some schools that I'm working with that are very much um, that have very much created a, an open door community on um, in an in virtual setting, and they've learned mm-hmm. a tremendous amount from each other, both because um, working in this virtual setting is brand new for every, everyone. And so seeing even small ways to make it easier goes a really long way. But also seeing an increase in the level of rigor, um, what teachers are asking of students via Zoom over time, like high expectations yield high expectations. And so if you see that a teacher whose classroom you hop into is asking it's setting a high bar for their kids, then that gives you permission to set a high bar for your kids. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yes, absolutely. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, there, there was a book uh, some years ago, um, and certainly been well over 10 years ago now, um, that was uh, Tom Rath wrote a book um, called uh, Vital Friends. And there's a lot of research on there about relationships um, and what and why they're important. But I, I recall that there was something that was said about um, people who have close relationships at work are more likely to be more engaged, more productive, and and you know more likely to stay. Um, did you find that to be important at all among millennials? Because this was a, this was a while back. But um, did you find any similar results among millennials that they they want strong relationships like between uh, the teacher and the principal or among their colleagues? That was my top finding. Top finding mm-hmm. was that they stay mm-hmm. because they like and respect their colleagues, and they they see their school as having a positive school culture. And for them, they defined positive school culture specifically around the adult culture. If there were opportunities to build collegial relationships, they were much more likely to stay. I spoke to a number of teachers that cited their colleagues as like, oh, I'm so grateful that I was paired with this teacher. I never would have come back if I hadn't been paired with this teacher. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, wow, I, I mean, I didn't even know that that was the top finding, but um, it, it does make a lot of sense um, and that uh, when individuals are looking for, for um, places that they want to land, chances are they talk to people, they're going to listen for what kind of relationships exist among their, the, the colleagues. Um, and so it, it seems like it would be it would be important for a principal to to build, especially moving forward. I, I mean, I, I heard you loud and clear when you said it's not going to be much of a choice because it's going to be seventy five percent of the workforce soon. Um, and but that that the effective principal is going to pay attention to um, culture and climate building. 
um, and and those relationships. I remember, I think I, I may have even mentioned here on the broadcast once before, a mentor of mine who is a psychiatrist said, um, you know, only three things matter in school. And uh, I remember grabbing my pen to try to, okay, so let me get this nugget of wisdom. And, and he said, three things, that's it. And he said, relationships, relationships, relationships. And um, over the years, with the work that I've done around climate and culture and organizations, whether they are educational or otherwise, that's proven to be true over and over again, that those are very important. And then what I hear you saying, even among millennials, that it may even be more so important. So that's that's an important finding. So um, I, I, you know, we're already over time and, uh, as I told you, you know, the time goes really, really fast. Um, but I have so enjoyed talking to you about um, the work that you're that you're doing, and I look forward to hearing more um, uh, going forward in, in this area. Um, so, for those of you who tune in regularly, and uh, those who may not, um, make sure you tune in also next week. Um, we have a guest joining us from the National Institute of Mental Health, NIMH. Her name is Dr. Crystal Barksdale. She's the Chief of Minority Mental Health Research Program. Um, she's going to be talking about Ameri- African-American teen crisis, uh, suicide during the pandemic. And so, again, Cami, I just want to thank you for, um, for being here and sharing all of this great information and I'm sure that there are principals out there that um, will definitely be interested in in uh, learning more. So until next Thank time, you so much, go Dr. well. Perkins. Yes, stay well.